DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, joins us now on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, the USA. You and I are both (laughs) about the same age to remember the shock. I was a little kid. It was the first Olympics that I have any memory of at all. But I can remember how shocked, even though I didn't get to see the game, how shocked everyone was the USA lost in 1972 and how they were cheated. And then, in 88, we were just beaten. So we sent the NBA in 92. But the NBA lost in 2004, and I'm getting the feeling the NBA guys aren't going to bring home the gold this year. Am I being too negative? Uh, no, probably not. And, I mean, I think the world's changed a lot since those early days when you and I were watching those games as younger kids and stuff. But... Uh, yeah, it, it's just one of those things that uh, with all the things that have gone on in the world in the last year and a half, you know, it probably seemed, and, and realistically, it was impossible for the best players in in the NBA and or in the world to, to all show up for this. And, I mean, there's a lot of guys that just, you know, basically said, hey, you know what, I'm not going to do it this year. Or, obviously, the two NBA seasons we've just experienced took quite a toll on a lot of folks. So, again, we don't have that that team that uh, that we watched many years ago and and the dream team and those but uh i still think i mean i'm not i'm not giving up on them i mean it doesn't look great when when you've already lost three games uh two in the, in the early ones that the qualifier that don't really count just the practice games but um yeah there's there's no reason for them to lose to france but i mean i'm certainly not blaming it on middleton and booker and and drew holiday who actually actually played really well um, you know, they just don't seem to have a lot of size, and and, and when KD plays poorly, uh, they're going to have a they're going to have a hard time winning. And uh, they just you know they couldn't make baskets, and uh, it just it, I, I saw a little bit of clips of it, so I didn't really watch the game itself. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it was one of those things that you could just see that the toughness and the, you know every game they play. Uh, this is the game of the year for every country that plays in the United States. But they're good enough. They're good enough. Durant just can't go one for six for the three and score ten. Lillard, three for ten. Uh, Middleton obviously didn't score, but I, I don't blame anything on him. Uh, they, they, just, they just don't have a way to get easy baskets inside either. I think that hurts them. So I, I'm quite confident they'll win the next two games. Uh, but after that, who knows? Yeah. So I think uh, I think you hit on something there. Don't blame the guys who are there, and it's easy to blame them because they're the ones you know who are missing four shots in a row, five shots in a row, six shots in a row, seven shots in a row. So I get that, but I still don't really want to do that. And we put these questions up on our Facebook page and kind of get the you know, the pulse of the people and all that. And Scott said, uh, "Send them home. They don't care." Well, I don't, I don't buy that. I think once you turn the scoreboard on, they're going to care. So I think they care. I think the question is, for the guys who aren't there, do they care enough? Because I think the answer there, now, now you've got a question. Because there's a lot of guys who played in the NBA who are willing to play for their country in multiple summers. 
Joe Ingles is in his fourth Olympic Games, and he played in the World yeah. Championships, now the World Cup. And so you're looking at a guy who's written off, that's at least eight summers, but I know it's more than that. I can't tell you Joe's played every summer. Um, I mean, last summer, nobody played. But, um, but he has played most, if not all, of his professional summers when he could. And I think the, the teamwork you build up for France, for Spain, for Australia, for the other elite teams, and the U.S., can they get guys to play two or three summers in a row? Because that's what they had in 08. The guys played, the core of guys played together in multiple summers, played in the World Championships, now the World Cup. Can they get U.S. players to do that? Because it, it does require some level of teamwork. There's a tremendous amount of talent in the U.S., but they need some teamwork. And I, I think your point's well taken. And I, and I think that uh, the number of, of, of players playing in the NBA, you're right, there's Joe Ingles and others that would play every summer with their, you know, their national teams. That doesn't seem to be a real high priority. I'm not saying for a moment that these guys don't love their country and, and are proud about being on that team and excited about being on that team. But there is something to be said about preparation and learning how to play with each other. I mean, my goodness, the, the chemistry, the, those kinds of things, the system that they're involved in that they've been doing over four or five years, they have confidence in that, like they do it in their own NBA team. They, they know the system. There's great chemistry. Teams don't have great success unless they have that chemistry and guys are on the same page. And if it's just a lot of perimeter shooting and, you know, guy, you, know you, you take the first good look and shoot it and just assume that because they're great shooters in the NBA that that's going to happen, it's going to be different. They're going to see a lot of different types of defenses, too. They're going to be zoned a lot. They're going to force them to shoot perimeter shots. Um, besides the fact that it, everybody they play, it's the game of the year. You know, I mean, game of the century for that country. I mean, it's they're hyped. They're ready. They're and, and, and there's, to be honest with you, there's a lot of really good players in the world today. And we see that where uh, so many of these countries have NBA guys. So it's not like it was where there just wasn't a talent level. The talent level has risen. Certainly we would expect more from the guys that are playing right now in the NBA, even though we maybe don't have all the great players. That We've got enough players that if these guys have been playing together, as you mentioned, for the last two or three summers, or they had been together where they could – develop that chemistry, understand that system, and how, you know, you, you wonder after what they've gone through, uh, how hungry are they? Uh, you know, really how competitive are they going to be in, in this situation and circumstance? And you take a Joe Ingles who is proud of his Australian heritage and he's playing with guys he's played with, I'm assuming probably for the last 10 or 15 years that uh, they, they've just got a different connection than the U.S. team, who's bringing individuals together for the not for the first time. These guys have known each other, but really, this group hasn't played together uh, other than some of those practice games. They come right out of an NBA season, and they're not prepared. They're not nearly as prepared as the teams are going to play. In some situations, you figure there's enough talent there to beat most teams, but to beat the elite Olympic teams here, they're going to have to grind and go through what it takes in the NBA to win a win a series. And the problem is, it's not best out of seven. <laughs> you know, they, they you're one and done. And, you know, I mean, outside of the, the pool play they're playing now, you can lose a ball game. But after that, you know, you're going home. So I'm hopeful that they'll get together. I, I have great respect for Middleton and Booker and and uh, Drew Holiday uh, flying over there, getting there. I mean, I'd listen to them talk about this experience. I, I, and I don't know if it's the first time for all three of them. 
It may be, but they seemed excited and and, and uh, really eager to get over there and get be a part of it. But it, in all fairness to them, uh, you know, they need some rest. And hopefully, this will be a bit of a wake up call where they'll get some confidence. And I know they, I think they play the Czech Republic. Who's the other team that they play? I they forgot. play. They play Iran Wednesday, and they ought to win that. Yeah. And then they play the Czech Republic on Saturday, and then. Then it gets eight teams, single elimination, and you know we'll have to see what yeah, the draw is. Right. So hopefully these two games, they can develop some chemistry. They can get on the same page. They can get some confidence back. But it's, it's going to be a grind. I, I, I think they're talented enough to win the thing. There's no question in my mind. But you know how things – if you don't take the right mental approach to this and you're not all in uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, um, you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat, and because the the talent level from all of these countries have not just representatives from the NBA, but guys playing in Europe and different places, and, and they're older and they're more mature, and their their size. I think at the rim, these guys are big, and this is really a team made up of slender, uh, kind of perimeter type players. I, I don't know who where the beef is inside and where the girth is. That you need to in a, in a game, you know. I mean, my goodness, you can play above the rim. You can, you can do whatever you want. So I think that's the weakness of this team. They just don't have the size. Uh, and these games typically turn into half court games. And even though there's shot clocks and those kinds of things, it's about pounding it inside. And you know whether they can deal with that over the course of you know three, four, five, six games, it, it's to be seen. But, uh, yeah, all of those things are things that make you question a little bit whether the United States is prepared and really has the depth and, and the girth inside to deal with a game that's very physical. And, and you know, in the NBA, it, it's changed. You know, it used to be a real physical game. But now fouls are called and guys, it's just it's, it's a little bit softer game in the NBA than it used to be. Now, you know, we beat the Suns and – you know, they both competed at a high level, and Milwaukee played with great energy, and, uh, and and they had that toughness. And that's what the pundits are going to look at here. Where's the toughness? Where's the competitiveness? And uh, they can't just rely on the three ball, that's for sure, to win this thing. So switching gears to the Utah Jazz, uh, we had David Locke on a few days ago, and I was talking to him about the the and I think the front office, from what I've heard, they like to keep things really secretive. So I'm sure there's stuff I don't know, but I think that there's the awareness inside the organization, and I think the awareness needs to grow in the fan base that it's time to be all in. And if the Jazz trade out of the first round, and I get it, if they see the next Rudy Gobert, who they got at 27, if they see him at 30, well, don't trade out. I mean, obviously, but that roster spot and that money might be better used on a veteran who can give you something in one matchup in one playoff series because the future for a championship is now. Rudy Gobert is 29. He is elite size and elite mobility, and that's not going to last forever. Three, four, five years down the road, that is going to slip, and he's not going to be able to get beat at the three-point line and spin around and chase down a Dallas Maverick and block a shot to win a game. He's just not going to be moving like that at some point. And Donovan Mitchell signed for five years, but the fifth year is his option. And we know from watching what happened with Anthony Davis and James Harden that you get down to the last year of the deal and you might have to move somebody and move on. If it's not working and you're not getting to the finals winning the title, 
So they might, at that point, have to break everything up. So the future is now for the next three years. Are you buying all that line of thinking, and would you be comfortable with them going old and signing 31-year-old veterans, even if it's for a limited role with an eye towards a playoff series? Given a world where, you know, what have you done for me lately? And, 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 and we, we all think that way. You know, it's, it's about the moment. It's now. And uh, I, I, I believe, to be honest with you, that they need to trade the draft picks. They need to figure out how they can, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it is, well, you could take the idea that, well, we'll trade our draft picks. Maybe we'll get a couple of second rounders. You know, well, those guys aren't going to help you win. I mean, I'm not saying those guys can't be players at some point in time. And, uh, but I, I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not as much up on it, but just looking at the Jazz, I, I like the idea of trading some players, trading some picks, and, and get one one more player that fits in. That you know, I mean, I, I'm assuming that they're going to bring Conley back, and I'm, that you know, we're going to assume that everybody's going to get healthy. And so, is that a six, seven, six, eight, you know, combo wing, uh, you know, three and D guy that can come in and give them. 16 points a game. I don't know exactly who's out there, and we'll know more after this draft. But, yeah, that I, I completely agree with that mentality, that they need to go and get it done now because you, otherwise, otherwise they're in a situation where they're always going to be almost there, almost going to be there. And they're going to get farther away if they don't get better right now. And the league's going to be, my goodness, the, the league is not going away. I mean, Phoenix is gained a lot of success and the Lakers are going to be back and, and they're going to be hopefully healthy. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's not going to get any easier. And, uh, and, but the jazz, all right, they're at a point right now. They, they got to know what they watched and saw where they fell a little bit short or injuries really hurt them that they're not that far away. And so if they want to get to an NBA finals, they, they need to bring somebody in that can give them 15 or 16 and, and has had some experience and, I don't know exactly who that is, but but at the end of the day, if you're telling, if you're asking me, hey, do we trade our picks? Do we get some second rounders? Do we you know try to improve ourselves for the future? I would say you, you you trade and do everything you do right now to get yourself back to the NBA Finals next year, and uh, or in the next year or two, because that group is, is you know they, they've dealt with some injuries this year, but for the most part, this a veteran team that has the ability to get there. And, uh, you know, I mean, the Suns made everybody believers of that this year. And we say what you want about people getting hurt. Injuries always play a part in every, every NBA season. Every NBA season, there's teams in the finals who there's an injury, and it just, it just happens. You, I mean, you can't control that. So my, I, I would be all in on finding another guy that can make an impact and then uh, get in great shape and be prepared for another great year. But to, to go young or trade a bunch of people to start trying looking for something else doesn't... So I think the, the, the notion, like, who is out there and who is available, uh, there, I just read a great story uh, about Philadelphia and the 76ers and that everyone is assuming Daryl Morey is going to trade Ben Simmons before the year, before the next season starts. But he's not really available right now. But there's two things everybody's waiting for. One is for 
uh, Bradley Beal in Washington. Is he going to make a trade demand or not? And if he does, will it be public or not? And then Damian Lillard, when he gets back from the Olympics, what does he think of what the Blazers have done? Same thing. What does he say privately? What does he say publicly? Once people find out if those two guys are going to be available or not, then they'll make the moves. But it's like the free agent market with the pecking order. You know, well, I've got some guys who want to move, but i got to know if I'm going to be in on the two biggest prizes. Now, if those guys aren't going to be on the markets, they're both like, I'm good, let's, let's give this a shot next year. Then you move on to your other options. But everybody's kind of holding back, waiting, and it's, it's dominoes falling, essentially, or not falling, as the case may be. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I read a few things and listen uh, to some serious radio at times. And, 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 you know, I mean, I'm hearing Beal. I mean, right now they're trying to make sense of whether he goes and plays for the Warriors, you know, or later goes to to L.A. and uh, or, or wherever. Um, you know, those aren't those aren't guys that that the Jazz are going to be involved with. But Ben Simmons is somebody that they could be involved with, depending on what the circumstances are. And uh, again. I've read enough about Simmons to know that I, I would have, in, in my mind, as a GM or as a coaching staff, that we we can help this kid become a better shooter. You know, I mean, it's not it's not something that he he doesn't have to be a forty percent three point shooter. I mean, we, we watched uh, Giannis, you know, go seventeen for nineteen in the finals when he had been a forty percent you know free throw shooter. Uh, I, I I just I just always believe that that is something that can be fixed. Even though it seems really broken mentally and emotionally, the kid's kind of a mess and all, all the things that went on during the NBA, those things can't be fixed. And it doesn't have to happen immediately. And it's just a matter of mentally and emotionally getting yourself in the right place with the right people. I mean, I, I don't know if the Jazz could be involved with Simmons and, and what they'd have to give up, but maybe they won't have to give up a lot. Maybe it's one of those things that uh, they'd just like to get rid of him and get his money so that they can look at a Beal or a Lillard or whomever else is out there. Um, I'm not enough in the end on no on that, but if I had a chance to get Simmons, I'd go after him. I mean, he's he's young. He, you, he, you can fix those things. Those ideas, well, they'll never be fixed. His shot will always be broke. They'll always be a mental wreck. Uh, I don't believe that. And, and uh, there's nothing about that kid that I've watched as he's played that seems like he's not but a great young man that wants to get better, and I can't even imagine what he's gone through here recently. But that can all be fixed. And if you could, you somehow, some way, get someone like that into a to, the, to a jazz situation, where man, defensively you get better, rebounding you get better, you kind of can do a lot of other things that are really, really, really good. But we all just want to focus on the fact that he can't make a free throw. When I watch Giannis make 17 free throws, I realize then and there that, you know what, here's a guy that couldn't make one all year, and all of a sudden he does. It, it, a lot of it probably will have to do more with uh, kind of a, a mental coach, somebody that can work with his mind and help him get through those things, and uh, and then just getting lots of shots up. I think we all want to blow that thing up like, oh, it's never going to happen, but I don't believe that. I, I believe that Ben Simmons is going to end up being a really good NBA player, and that at some point in time he's going to figure that out and once he does, uh, he's going to be a pretty special. He already has a special talent with, with the inability to shoot the basketball. So it's just, it, it's just a matter of how long, who you're going to get with him. You know, who are the who are the coaches or the the therapy type guys, therapist guys that can can kind of work with athletes that can help him get to another place uh, emotionally and mentally with the shooting. But man, he would. 
he would have an immediate impact in Utah. He would have an immediate impact wherever he goes. But in Utah, uh, that kind of athleticism and that ability to defend 94 feet and uh, do the things that he does would be a great get if that could happen. So, Steve, as a former BYU and Fresno State basketball coach, what are basketball coaches around America thinking as Oklahoma and Texas announce, uh, you know, granite rights, blah, they're setting themselves up to go to the SEC. What are all the basketball coaches thinking as this football-driven stuff goes on? You know, I actually had that thought this this week, thinking about where there's opportunities. And uh, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I think that, we are all aware of what pays the bills and whatever. When the most, you know, obviously the NFL and uh, and college football are huge money makers, and they make the world go round. And we get that. I think most basketball coaches uh, don't have the time or or the mindset that they're going to worry about that stuff. I mean, not that they wouldn't have an opinion, but they got so many other things that they're dealing with. It's like, okay. Uh, we're going to be in a new conference now. I mean, that would that would give you a little bit of trepidation. And all of a sudden, I've got to re- get prepared for a whole new group of guys. I'm pretty comfortable in this league. I know the coaches, so that, that it would it would be a bit of a burden in terms of getting ready. But there's, there's also uh, the, the other side of the coin is that you know they're not, the, the league's going to have to get ready for new teams as well. I don't think, to be honest with you, that the coaches, the elite coaches at that level, uh, really probably care. Uh, they they've got one thing to do, whether, no matter what league they're in. So I, I think probably there is some uh, raised eyebrows and what you know, what are we doing now, um, and, and where this takes us in terms of other sports. I it, it appears that the commissioners, I mean, basketball it brings in a, a lot of revenue as well, but it's not football at the highest level. We we, we do understand where the bread's buttered here. And it is in football, but I don't think that most college basketball coaches really care, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it could be a circumstance that, uh, uh, you know, improves the circumstances financially and maybe uh, allows some schools. But, most, you know, in the Big 12 and, and the SEC, the, the basketball programs are not without. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I don't even know if it would change that. You know, like, oh, hey, we're all going to get new practice facilities because we're going into the SEC or this or that. Uh, personally, I don't think they're going to spend a lot of time worrying about it. And uh, they're out recruiting and they're trying to win games and, and do what football coaches are doing and uh, just in a different setting, in a different circumstance. So I can't imagine, other than some raised eyebrows and like, well, what's going on now? But they've got jobs, and no matter what league they're in, they're all trying to win conference championships, get to the get to the tournament, and win a national championship. So I don't think that's going to be too big of a distraction for basketball coaches. Steve, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again. Yep. All right, buddy. See you. Take care. Have a good yep. week. Bye-bye. Our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, everything you missed in this show, Oklahoma and Texas making news this morning, U.S. basketball trying to regroup. We'll get to it all next. Stay with us.
The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON. On your home of the the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Top 1660 is back on The Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the Top 60 players in the state of Utah. It's a count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the Top 1660 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on The Zone Sports Network. So the story of the day, breaking during the show, Oklahoma and Texas... Yeah, they're out. Grant of rights. Guys, we will not extend them. So they're leaving. The only question is when. Max Olson, writing for The Athletic, has a story that has, uh, you know, some perspective and all that, but it, it really has two juicy quotes in it. Here's his story. Of all the colorful words and descriptions used to sum up Texas and Oklahoma within Big 12 circles over the past six days, here's a creative one offered by an administrator. Colon. Arsonists. <laughs> Quote, they set the house on fire knowing there were eight of us in it. Oof. So no hard feelings there. Uh, there's another quote about, uh, you know, that 2025 is when the grant of rights and the previous contract end. But everything's negotiable. A deal can be cut. Uh, and, they, and the quote was, they're going to pay a bleep ton of money to get out of this. So, gear up. Now, the other eight, are they going to get picked off by other leagues? Right now, I think that's the direction they've got to go. Those eight have to go out and offer themselves up to other leagues. I just don't know how many takers are going to be. And PK brings up a point. Don't expand, consolidate. Create more leverage by having fewer people for the broadcasters, whether it's the traditional ESPN, CBS, Fox, who appear to be the only ones in right now, but I think one day everyone thinks Google, Amazon, Netflix, and whoever else could be in there. But make the broadcasters come to you the way the NFL does. The NFL is a monopoly. Now, I don't know that college football can get to a monopoly, but we've talked about four leagues of 16. We're getting pretty close. The Big 12 is a major player. Uh, they're going to take a huge hit. Now, will it still be worth 10, 15, 20 million a team? Remains to be seen. My guess is those eight schools aren't going to find takers, they're going to band together, and they're going to have to add more teams. Central Florida and South Florida, get into the Florida market, make yourself more valuable. Added team in Texas, Houston. Um, then Memphis, Cincinnati, BYU are all out there. They'll run all the numbers past the networks and see what they get offered. There will be no emotion. There will be money. They, they are going to take a hit, and if you're taking a pay cut, if you've ever been in that situation, and trust me, if you've been in broadcasting, you've been in that situation, uh, you try to figure out, okay, well, realistically, what do I have to do to not take another one? And how do I minimize the damage of taking this one? And any business that's ever cut a, a deal and had to go backwards, and I mean, we're coming through a pandemic, 
And, you know, a decade before that, there was another financial meltdown. So I think a lot of people have been in this situation, either individually or with a company or both. And that's what these eight have got to figure out right now. And I think the thing for BYU and Houston and Memphis and Cincinnati and Central Florida and South Florida to figure out is, okay, if we jump in with these guys, is the boat going to come apart? Everybody needs a lifeboat. Okay, but is this boat leaking? Before I hop in it. Now there can be a grant of rights going forward and teams can be committed for another, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever. Probably not 20. I think the long-term deals have really worked against the leagues that have signed them. One thing I read is that the ACC is the one school, or excuse me, the one conference that is most likely out of school now because they've signed a deal through 2036 and it's already aging poorly. And if they expand, they can reopen their deal. Now that's a heck of a price to pay, but are they willing to pay it? And are we going to be, and this is to PK's point about consolidation, are we going to the point where the Big Ten and the Pac-12, which have always had a partnership through the Rose Bowl, been like-minded academically, you know, are they going to form a Super League? 16 teams, 20 teams. Think of the power that they would have negotiating. And there's still politics, you know, when teams break away and there's two schools in a state, you know, can, can one be left behind? It appear, apparently in Oklahoma that's true, and they, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have different governance systems, kind of like California does with the University of California and the Cal State system. And Utah doesn't. Right? All the schools kind of bound together here. So something's going to happen, and there's no doubt people are trying to figure this out on paper. Uh, and right now I would lean towards the Pac-12 not. I haven't had enough time to talk to enough people, but I would lean towards the Pac-12. I just don't think the money and the academics line up that they're going to want to expand. But we'll see how teams make themselves available and schools make themselves available. So that's one huge story this morning. The other is the U.S. basketball team. For all the talk about, hey, they were just tune-up games, well, now they've lost an Olympic game. And they didn't perform in the clutch. They weren't. They weren't outclassed. They weren't drilled. But in the clutch, they got beat bad. 16-2 to run to close the game for France. France has been together. France doesn't have three guys flying in from the NBA Finals who are gassed. France has guys who've played together. I, I don't even know how long Gobert and Batum have been playing together. Uh, for a good long while. Uh, two Olympic cycles. Three, maybe? I don't, you know. And then you get these world championship tournaments. There have been a lot of summers playing together. And the U.S. is missing that. Some of what's happening now can be written off to uh, there are a lot of guys with injuries who didn't want to play. And LeBron didn't want to play. Donovan Mitchell didn't want to play. Steph Curry didn't want to play. Chris Paul didn't want to play. And whether they're bouncing back from injuries or they're worried about having injuries uh, going forward, Chris Paul has a history of injuries. He doesn't have a major injury now. But his body's going to need some downtime if he's going to make a run at a title next year. So I get why he doesn't want to play. But the U.S. is just missing a lot of talent. There's no way around that. So for this next cycle, can they, assuming the NBA gets back on its traditional calendar, the commissioner says he wants to do that, and they're going to be trying to do that in this upcoming season, there might be one more season impacted. I'm not 100% clear on whether they're going to play 82 games or not. I think they're going to but I'm not positive. They may not. 
But they're getting back on that schedule. They don't want to be playing a, the, the finals in July. There just aren't enough people in front of the television in July. There's a number that doesn't get talked about in the ratings, but it's homes using television. And they know how many TVs are on at any one time. And people are vacationing now. They, people are traveling. And presumably, they're going to be traveling more next summer than this summer. Presumably. By the way, if you didn't see it on Twitter yesterday, David Locke has a travel horror story. And the next time we have him on, uh, we'll see if we can get him to share that. But uh, you, can, you can check his Twitter feed for his family getting split up on a flight. And they decided the daughter can't fly nonstop. She's got to go on her own. And she's still a minor. She's got to go on her own and change planes, which... I've met his daughter. She can probably negotiate, but it's still, it's, it's not what you paid for. The fact that she could pull this off doesn't mean that someone should have to pull this off. See if we get Locke incensed or if he's calmed down. When he tweeted at Delta, I was pretty sure he was furious. And you know, the cool thing about David is like, you see him get mad. I've seen him get mad plenty of times, but he doesn't get really mad very often. You know, there's a difference between, you know, upset and angry and furious. And I'm trying to get context from, you know, words on a screen, which isn't the best. You know, you want to hear the sound in somebody's voice or, or see their body language as they're speaking. You get a better handle on that. But I was getting the feeling he was furious reading that tweet. And anyone who's had a travel story, once upon a time, an airline tried to split up uh, my son from my wife and I, we didn't, there were just the three of us at that point. We hadn't had the second kid. And, uh, and my, my wife had to, when she gets really calm, that's when you know she's really mad. Like, oh, man, the needle swung back the other way, and that's not a good sign for you. Yeah, they're trying to get our 18-month-old kid to uh, fly uh, 15 rows in front of us on an airplane. <laughs> okay, well, you call up the other people and tell them that they're going to be uh, with an infant in a row without a parent and that we're going to be back, a third of the way back on the plane because I want to see the look on their face. Man, I hope they're not frequent flyers. I hope they don't have your, your double gold slash black platinum, uh, you know, 10 million mile frequent flyer card because they're going to be furious. All right, other stuff. Uh, Arizona State, it's under the radar here. Tight ends coach Adam Brenneman is on paid administrative lead. NCAA investigation of possible recruiting violations. They move pretty slow on Arizona basketball, but Arizona State football, they seem to be moving a little more quickly here. First of multiple coaches, where is this going? Are they going to get coordinators? The head coach caught up in this. What is going to happen and at what rate? Honestly, from what I'd read and heard, I was in, I'm a little surprised that in July we've already got somebody on administrative lead. I thought the way this was trending, this would be uh, you know, back half of the college football season or maybe even after the season. And after watching some of the basketball where there were FBI wiretaps take multiple years to play out, I'm a little surprised by this, but... Major League Baseball, phenomenal by the Red Sox. Getting no hit for seven innings, down 4 nothing the Yankees, and then they score five times in the eighth and win the game. Talk about flipping a game on its head in a heartbeat. That was amazing. All right, your feedback coming up next. DJ and PK, stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for your feedback. we got two questions today. Rudy Gobert and France beat the U.S. in the Olympic opener for both teams. A reaction little hacksaw Hamilton reaction point Loma Escondido Poway I want to hear from you 
Spanish Fork, Brigham City, Magna, lines are open. I don't know how long I could do that. I couldn't do it for a show. I don't even think I could do it for a segment, but it's hilarious to do it once in a while. If you grew up with Hacksaw, and he was in Phoenix and San Diego, so. Well, in the San Diego station, had the signal into L.A., so those were the glory days. Stuart, Rudy Gobert in France beat the USA in the Olympic opener for both teams' reaction. Stewart says, frankly, not shocked at all. Stewart saw the roster. Stewart saw the two losses in the tune-up games. Stewart looked at France's roster and thought, yeah, this could be happening. Dustin, the best bad golfer at Highlights Ute, says, that was yesterday, David. We've moved on. That sounds pretty dismissive, Dustin. But today's the one day I could buy it because that Oklahoma-Texas news this morning where basically they sent an announcement and said, yeah, we're doing this. That's not exactly how it was phrased, but that's what they meant. So what should the conference do now? A PK came on with us earlier this morning and said, hey, be careful. Don't expand. The big dogs are driving this. More people at the kids' table. Maybe not a positive. Jared says merge with the Big 12 after Texas and Oklahoma leave. Jared, I don't think this is the direction this is going. What about some combination with the Big 10? They've always been aligned athletically in the Rose Bowl. And they've been largely aligned. American Association of Universities, research schools, all of that. And I know a lot of you shrug your shoulders and roll your eyes. Especially BYU fans. But some you Nagy fans too. Like, we're just here for the games. I mean, go research whatever you want. Make whatever money you want. We're here for the games. Okay, but presidents and regents don't think that way. They don't. Who are the real power players. And they are the power players. The ADs do the homework, but the decisions... Is the president or the chancellor. Right. Depending on the school, the AD may have some level of input. And that's best case scenario. So, will the Big Ten cherry pick a few Pac-12 schools, and if so, how many? Or do they just do a mega conference, two, eight, or ten team divisions? Have a 20-team league. You're essentially two separate conferences, and, and, and um, Jackie Sherrill said this a long time ago, 20-team leagues, two 10-team divisions. Athletically, you're pretty much separate divisions and conferences. You're, you're on your own. But financially, you're 20 teams with a tremendous amount of leverage negotiating with the networks. Some version of the Big Ten anchored by Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State and the seven teams they handpick. And 10 of the 12 out here. Now, maybe it doesn't work out that way. There's lots of permutations you can go through. But how does the Big Ten keep up with the SEC? That's pretty much the only way. I don't see many options. You're incredibly value valuable because you're playing in every TV window. And whatever happens with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, I suspect it involves USC and the Los Angeles market because everyone is pretty good at the basic math. Rob says, what would Larry do? Answer that and do the opposite. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> He's gone. That was funny, but maybe we could stop making fun of him. No, he deserves to be ridiculed. Nope. He's sitting on millions. Never mind. If he were a thousandaire, <laughs> yeah, but we'd as, let it go. As we are fond of saying on this show, there are no losers in sports. No losers in professional sports. And I know and, it's a collegiate game. Yeah, but, but when you're getting paid like a commissioner, especially like he was getting it's paid. A, well, it's a profession yeah. to do what he does. So, Dave says curl up in the fetal position. It's what they do best. If I click on Dave's profile here, is it going to have a is it going to have a BYU logo? Uh, probably. Go ahead. Bingo! There we go. <laughs> Lives in Provo, Utah. Curl up in the fetal position. Brady says the SEC's already adding teams. Dot, 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 dot. Todd wants him to bring over some Big 12 teams. I just don't see the good fits. The research institutions delivering a lot of fans with a good football program. That's who everybody's looking for. That's what the SEC is getting in Texas. Okay, in Oklahoma, maybe a little down on the whole academics research thing. So what, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech? Yay, Stillwater. Yay, Lubbock. Okay, but people in Tulsa and Oklahoma City are going to watch maybe Oklahoma State. No, they are. I mean, they're they're, going to watch. They might be rooting against him or laughing at him, but they'll watch. But it isn't, it isn't a home run. It's a single or a double. And the way it's going, if you're a conference realignment and you only got so many spots, do you need to hit singles or do you need to hit home runs? Turns out baseball isn't the only thing that's all about launch angle. And if you're trying to keep up with the SEC, because ultimately they're going to have the most money and they're going to hire the best coaches. And if they are a bad coach and you hire a good coach, They're going to fire their coach, they're going to pay them off, and they're going to hire your coach. And that is what frightens everybody. Because in college, the coaches are also the general managers. And they're worth the money. Look at Alabama before Nick Saban and look at them after. Look at the trajectory Utah has been on with the McBride hire, with the Urban Meyer hire, with the Kyle Whittingham hire. And you can argue all three of those are different, and I would agree they are, but the trajectory for all three was up. Mac was a little more up and down than the other two. The other two were steadier. But they took some big bounces under Mac. Urban was shorter than the other two, but my gosh, it was straight up. I was going to say. Kyle's been a combination of the two. He's had Mac's longevity, and he's been steadier, more consistent. You know what you're getting. Right. But the fact is, over 30 years, where's it gone? It's gone up. Big time. You can't compare what the Utes are now with what they were 30 years ago. But as I just saw someone post on Twitter, there's probably about 40 teams in college football that have nothing to worry about. Now, the Utes aren't out, but they're not in that group of 40 with nothing to worry about. We'll leave it there. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. They'll have more on conference realignment, Pac-12 media day tomorrow. That ought to be interesting. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.